0: The following is on the topic of dual nationals. Specifically, dual nationals as it relates to the U.S. men's national team. And even more specifically, dual nationals as it relates to Mexican Americans first and Latino Americans generally. It's become a hot topic in American soccer the past handful of years. And even if you're not that interested in the pro game here or the national team, it can nonetheless be affecting whatever it is that you are interested in. The reason. Is that what you'll hear next starts providing some insight into the culture which pervades the ecosystem in our country. A culture which historically was heavily authoritarian and now is working to, at least from a public relations perspective, it's trying not to be perceived as authoritarian. So, now for a bit of context. In this episode, you'll hear quite a bit about Efraín Alvarez, a Mexican-American born and raised in the United States and now is cap tied to the Mexican senior national team. You'll hear about Efra, but for the context I'm referring to, this episode was recorded on March 1st, 2021, and that's well before he was cap tied. So the decision was still kind of up in the air. Will he pick the United States or will he pick Mexico? And for a little bit more context, as many of you might know, Brian Kleban. Coached Efrain Alvarez from U9 through U19 before being graduated to the professional level. Again, I bring up Efra because last week, he just turned 19 recently in June, he became cap tied to Mexico. And this despite having been born and raised in the United States and having participated with the U.S. youth national teams early on. Of course, beyond Efra, there are a number of dual nationals in the professional ranks. That have legitimate possibilities of being integral pieces of a senior men's national team. For me, the answer to the question of how to pursue dual nationals should be quite straightforward. We should pursue them for the right reasons, legitimate sporting reasons, and not for reasons of public perception and evading accountability in case a player chooses to represent another country. Meaning, it should be done with dignity, respect, and above all, in good faith and with sincerity. Values all too often lost on those privileged to sit in decision-making chairs, and not merely at the federation level, but throughout the ecosystem. With that, the following discussion should provide some food for thought on the matter. No doubt this is a sensitive subject in general, and yes, it hits close to home with me being the son of Argentine immigrants and having intimately worked with the Mexican-American community, and generally the Latino American communities within this sport. I'd be remiss not to mention this authoritarian posture has also been levied and continues to be levied on people beyond players. It's exerted on coaches who express a different culture. It's exerted on clubs who might want to operate with values that don't perfectly align. It's exerted on media. It's generally exerted on anyone and everyone. Who doesn't completely fall in line with the one singular culture that controls the ecosystem in our country? I invite you to dig a bit into what happened to Hugo Perez, the coach of El Salvador, who just played a remarkable game against Mexico. Although you won't find the whole truth, and I certainly won't share it as I'm held in confidence, you will begin to catch hints of what's going on. But Hugo's case is but one of countless cases happening every day across our country by a system architected to do so. Perhaps one day, this authoritarian posture will also subside as it has a bit for players, even if it is just an insincere gesture done for public perception. But first, the public must become aware in mass that this is happening, just as it has become aware that it's happening or has happened to players a few years ago. But I'll leave it there as this episode solely focuses on the player specific side. I hope you enjoy, but as usual, first a couple product ads for you to consider. Remember please, this is what keeps the lights on around here. So if 343 has helped enrich your soccer lives in some way, this is one way to support. A couple products that you need to check out. One is at 343coaching.com. Go there, all you coaches out there, if you wanna learn and implement a proven successful coaching methodology with your teams. I'll just leave it there. Go dive deep, do the homework, see if this is actually a credible resource. Obviously, I'm going to tell you absolutely, it is unprecedented work, absolutely remarkable work, absolutely, it works. You know, you can check out our testimonial page from the hundreds of coaches that have gone through the program and are still in the program years and years and years after starting out because this is a process, ladies and gentlemen. There are no magic bullets, just like there are no magic bullets to becoming a scientist, just like there are no magic bullets to becoming a doctor, a lawyer, or any profession whatsoever. It is a process of learning, it is a process of implementation, it is a process of acquiring experience, but you need to do all those things with a correct, a good methodology that is actually proven to work. 343coaching.com. All right. Thank you for listening. I'm Gary Kleiben. I'm joined now by Nick Rogers here on the 343 Podcast. Let's get into the episode. What the situation was historically and what it is now, because that that matters. Historically, uh, U.S. soccer's posture regarding dual nationals was very black and white or kind of like... um, ultimatum-ish, right? Which is basically, uh, you either want to represent our badge or go fuck yourself. I mean, literally like that. Um, there was no conversation. There was no courting of the player. There was no recruiting. There was no love given to the player. Anything of that nature was non-existent. And so put yourself in the player's shoes. How does that make you feel? It doesn't make you feel that great. Um, And so you had a significant number of defections. Uh, Most recently, from recent memories, the Jonathan Gonzalez uh, situation, who went to Mexico. And there's uh, obviously other uh, situations as well in the past that aren't as high profile, because frankly, in the past, uh, there wasn't all this social media and a more frictionless dissemination of information. And so U.S. soccer was able to get away with being uh, dictatorial in that manner because they weren't held accountable for any of these sorts of defections. Um, so, yeah, you had the Jonathan Gonzalez situation. You had, you know, our boy Efrain Alvarez, uh, who started with the U.S., also go to Mexico. He's still with Mexico now, even though the door is still open um, because there's not, not a permanent commitment as of yet. Um, and so as a result of social media and dissemination of information, U.S. soccer kind of had to change their tune as to how do they approach this situation. And instead of being dictatorial and tyrannical and all other kinds of mean words that I can say, all of a sudden it's like, oh no, like like we should probably compete for the services of the player instead of basically giving them the middle finger. Uh, And so now you have a situation where um, U.S. soccer is more putting on a recruiting hat and a Court. They do a courtship and try to make all the players feel like they're wanted and and they're needed and that they have a plan for their future. And we can talk about how true that actually is and and what the real motives behind taking that position is, because a lot of it has to do with public perception of the federation versus actually. Wanting to do that and actually wanting to get the player, a, a lot of it is driven by, um, again, not wanting to be accountable for a player defecting. That's the driver. Uh, so you know, as a result of that, more players are more, are now open because they're being shown some degree of love to play for the United States instead of of another country. So that's one reason, Nick. The other reason is. Yeah, the United States is is a very marketable uh, nation and national team, and so from a player's perspective, and, and if they have a good representative, the the valuation of the player uh, is is to a great you know, to a significant degree probably higher. If they are a firm fixture for the United States men's national team, especially now that European countries really are looking for who's the next Christian Pulisic, who's the next McKinney, who's the next Tyler Adams, right? Because they see um, dollar signs in tapping into the American marketplace that way. And so being on the U.S. men's national team versus, I don't know, uh, the Chilean national team, the Mexican national team. Um, another country barring like the big time, right? Uh, 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 powerhouses. It's probably um, good for the career for them to be with the u s. But again, this is a very sensitive subject in re- in the respect that, the player also has to feel comfortable and the player also has to feel that they actually truly have a future with the US because it's one thing for the US to say, we love you, we love you, blah, 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 blah. But when the rubber meets the road and actual selections are made for the World Cup or for real games and real competitions, who are they going to call up? Are they going to call up the prototypical uh, American player profile of the past? Or are they going to, uh, now change and look for the more technical uh, sort of tactical uh, South American Latino type player. that's that remains to be seen, Nick. So there you go. that's my my intro.
1: <laughs> it's not a bad intro. What are some of the other factors that you think influences players to to make the decision? And I just saw a question from the professor. do you think compounding on that? do you think that, what club somebody plays for and grows up in has an effect on their ultimate decision. Um, I, I mean,
0: a whole bunch of things uh, contribute. How how close you are to your heritage, how close you you are to uh, the United States and its uh, way of life. When uh, did you? come to the United States, where uh, are you first generation? Where did you grow up? Who your friends and family are? How hardcore your family is with the national team? Um, But regarding club situation, it's possible, right? It's possible because um, you're with with your club every single day, year round. And they, they have an influence because they can be talking to the player as well and trying to maybe sway them one direction or another, which I know has been known to happen. Um, And it depends what country that club is is in too. So if you're playing for a Mexican club and you're in that environment, you probably start feeling closer and closer to the Mexican national team, for instance, uh, versus if you're in an MLS club, the opposite might be true. But again, I think the greatest influence of all is how much love the player feels from the respective national teams Um, because the player wants to have a future and wants to know that there's real opportunities there for them that's the driver
1: that's really interesting you know i i spoke earlier with adolfo mendoza who's the uncle of jonathan gonzalez and the president of atletico santa rosa and one of the comments that he made was If you don't show the player love, it's a very easy easy decision for them. You know, at the end of the day, these players are human and emotions will have some kind of effect on that decision. And I think one of the things that kind of led up to to Jonathan's decision was there was a top 100 prospects list. And at the time, you know, he was definitely in the conversation of being one of the top players and he was left off that list. Uh, I mean, he, he was left out of game. So these kind of things had a big impact on his ultimate decision so um, my question to you is when players do get the chance how important is the environment uh in, in their decision making and and the coaching staff you know how important is that uh for these players who are getting a taste of both countries um what does that environment do to them
0: um I don't know if this can answer your question because I'm trying to understand it uh, more thoroughly, and you can interrupt me, Nick. But sure. I, I think what matters is if if the love is genuine, right? Versus if it's a, a feigned love, versus if it's just the love to be able to say uh, publicly. We tried, you know, we tried, we called them to camps. we gave them phone calls and text messages. We tried, but ultimately, you know, it's a player's choice and he went elsewhere. Um, So that, that's a bullshit sort of love, right? That's just a fictional love where they're just trying to cover their asses, um, which happens a lot. And, and the player sometimes can tell the difference. Uh, human beings usually are, are decent at sometimes seeing if if things are real or not real so that's one thing and then the other thing is um, when it comes to coaching staff and who's who's going to be working with the player at the national team level it's also important i think to be able to be to to culturally connect with the player um so if the national team staff is uh, it comes from a diametrically opposed culture or a culture that's not very uh, in tune with the player's culture, that's not the, the optimum situation either. So what does that mean? So for example, okay, let's say that we're talking about a Mexican-American. Uh, clearly he was, he grew up in that kind of household. His first language is Spanish because the parents speak Spanish in the household, right? Even though the player was born here in the US and they listen to spanish broadcast of of games etc cetera, etc cetera. you go to the national team camp and nobody can speak spanish or hardly speak spanish or do- doesn't understand the cultural upbringing of the player that has a different feel right than if the opposite were true um and and you can joke around with the player in a cultural uh way that's in sync with one another so it's another factor Nick. I don't know if that answers your question.
1: No, 100% and I think that's a really good point, you know. M- even making an attempt to try and understand a player's culture might have big impacts in making that player feel a little more welcome with the environment. So, I think that's and, re-
0: and, and it's not it's not like the, these players don't speak English. They're fluent in English. They're born, yeah. born and raised in the United States. It's just having that added uh, bond exactly there's a bonding that happens between coaching staffs and players that can be that much greater if there's cultural cohesion there
1: yeah here's another question do you think that the u.s has the man the manpower the budget and the resources to scout as well as we need to or are we letting some players fall through the cracks are there, are there gaps in the pipeline that?
0: Well, there's, listen, first off, as I said, for years, these aren't cracks that players are falling through. These are canyons. Okay. These are fucking grand canyons in, that exist in our country. So are there players that don't get elevated or don't get identified and, and selected and elevated in our professional setup? Absolutely. Fucking canyons worth of players. One. Um, Uh, Two, you said, does the Federation have the resources wherewithal to scout and close those canyons or whatever? Everywhere across the world, it's not on the Federation, really, or the Federations, to have this exhaustive scouting network employed by the Federation doing that sort of uh, job. No, everywhere across the world, it's the clubs who are so incentivized to compete within their domestic leagues and survive because of promotion and relegation. It's the clubs themselves that hire and expand their own scouting network to identify the best players, to bring in the best players and form this huge pool of players for the club to be successful. And that is then what the Federation taps into. You see what I'm saying? So it's not the Federation's budget that needs to be amplified for scouting. Oh, we only have, Gary, we only have 20 scouts at the Federation. You know, you can't. Wrong thinking. Wrong. Okay. It's the clubs who should be doing that. And in our country, the biggest problem, again, since we don't have promotion and relegation, we have MLS franchises that don't have big scouting departments and huge, you know, and uh, with expertise, ample expertise with a big scouting department within each see every single franchise doing their job okay so that's why we have a canyon worth of players falling through you know the cracks
1: very interesting I would never say cracks again canyon it is <laughs> the grand canyon we'll call it uh so so what's the steps forward uh is it you know does it fall upon the shoulders of these MLS clubs to to like you said, boost their scouting? Uh, is, or is there something that we can do at a more grassroots level to, to keep our eyes on these players? Because I've seen too many dual nationals slip away out of our grasp. And, you know, Efra Alvarez, like you say, is right on the cusp. He, he has to decide. And so how do we prevent these situations from happening?
0: Well, well, these things happen worldwide first, before any before any hyena on the internet says, ah, Gary, this happens everywhere across the world. Yeah, motherfucker. But here, I'm saying it's canyons, and over there, there's cracks. There's cracks because there's no perfect system. But here, it's a Grand Canyon. So don't come tell me, ah, it happens everywhere, first off. Secondly, I'm sorry to bring this up, but like in our first episode, and it's something that we have to continue having many episodes on, Nick, is... Until we have promotion relegation, we do not have the fundamental incentive structure for the clubs to say, shit, we need to amplify our scouting department and bring in people who actually know what the hell they're doing and do our jobs and compete with other franchises. Right now, they have it's so bad, Nick, that right now there's MLS franchises have territorial rights. So it's not like Dallas can come into Southern California and, and scout Southern California and recruit uh, a player that they think is good to FC Dallas or New York or Seattle or anywhere. No, just because the player is born and raised here and is in this territory, oh, that's a Galaxy player or an LAFC player, whatever. Done. So you see what I'm saying? Like Absolutely. The incentive structure is not there even even in that regard.
1: Even beyond the academies, the MLS academies, there are so many clubs that are full of of dual nationals potentially that we might not be tapping into at all uh, because we have such a big focus on these MLS academies. So I wonder if that might be adding to the problem of, hey, you know, this is just another club. It's not an MLS academy club, so we're not going to even give these players a look.
0: Right? No question. No question about it. We have this fucked up idea in our heads that, oh, if you're not in an MLS academy, ah, you're probably not as good of a player. It's ludicrous. Okay. Absolutely fucking ludicrous. Uh, and, and, and so long as we have that mentality, so long as our fan base has that mentality, our reporters and media who are compromised to the core keep spreading that sort of uh, narrative we're in big trouble. Like uh, the, the, the people who should be held accountable aren't held accountable for doing a good job. So what the fuck do they care, you know, if they miss a player or two? Because let me tell you this, Nick, nobody will be the wiser. If a player falls through the canyons here, okay, nobody will know that the player fell through the canyons because everybody believes that the cream rises to the top And whoever got to be a pro in MLS or whatever, well, that was the best player. What players are falling through the cracks, Gary? Name them. Okay, I, I can name play. I can rattle off a whole bunch of names. And you'll be like, who's that? Yeah, exactly. Who's that? You won't give me any credit for saying that these players should have been professional because- These players mean nothing to you. Were they ever on a youth national team? Were they ever in an MLS academy? Oh, well, Gary, if they were good enough, they would have been called up to these things. Right? So it's kind of like a a stupid question. Gary, name the players that fell through the cracks. You're just going to tell me I'm I'm, okay. Well, that's just your opinion, Gary. Nonsense.
1: Well, here on this page, I don't think anybody thinks your opinion is nonsense. So I'm happy to have these kind of conversations to to further this discussion, because if we turn a blind eye to it, you know, it's not going to be good for for the U.S. national team. So let me segue you into this uh, final question. Uh, Two questions, because I know you have a clubhouse meeting right after this. Uh, This is from Tony GZA. He said, I've heard Brian speak on Efra Alvarez being the future number 10 of the U.S. men's national team. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, the player is super special. Um, he has attributes that nobody in the entire player pool has. Uh, he has attributes that nobody in the history of the U.S. men's national team player pool has, and same with other players, by mind you. We can talk about that another day. Um, but historically speaking, uh, Players like Efrain Alvarez have not been valued in, in the United States. Players with his attributes are not valued. Instead, what the United States values is the big, strong, you know, bruiser who buzzes around, runs 15 kilometers uh, in a game and goes into bone crunching tackles and can win headers. You know, that, those are the central midfielders the United States selects. And, and, and yeah, and they come from a particular demographic. Okay. So, um, In that and nothing's changed, by the way. Okay, you might hear you know these these ridiculous narratives that things have changed. They have not changed. Um, So that's going to be a problem. That's uh, for for Ephra's future. Um, So I don't have that answer again. Just because you get called to national team camps, just because you get called to uh, friendly matches at fi- in, during FIFA windows, you know, even if it's in Europe or whatever, just because you maybe get called and play some uh, nations league games or a Gold Cup, I mean, or, or a U seventeen World Cup or U twenty World Cup, well, when when the rubber meets the road, which is World Cup qualifying and the World Cup or Copa America or, or something like like the top competitions. That's where you see what gets valued and who plays, okay? So until that changes, uh, consi- for on a consistent basis, nothing's changed. So we'll, <laughs> is he the number 10 of the future? I mean, I certainly would if, if it was me and my staff running the show, uh, That he definitely has a very high probability of being the 10 of the future, but it's not my show. It's somebody else's.
1: Hey, when Ibra speaks highly of you and and says some of the comments that he he said about him, you know, I I think that the quality is there. And when you see him play in games, you're kind of blind if you don't see the quality and the the way
0: it is. Well, well, listen, man, it's kind of like you bring up a good point. Pedigree uh, means a lot here in the States, okay? Because when you don't have the eye to judge, you have to rely on other people's opinions, other experts' opinions, and or uh, the pedigree of the player. So if Slatan Ibrahimovic comes out and says, Efra is the most talented player in the league, that means something to the people here. Yes. you know, and, and, and that is a reason why Efra's name carries some weight. Uh, among, you know, what we just finished discussing 10 minutes ago, the dual national battle and U.S. soccer now having to compete, which by the way, that word compete is a dirty word in the U.S. because nobody wants to compete. Nobody wants accountability. But look, now they have to compete with Mexico and it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's doing good things for us. Okay. So we need more competition.
1: And if Mexico is doing a better job at us than recruiting some of these players and doing a better job of convincing these, some, some of these players to go and play for El 3 then maybe we need to relook at what's going on here in the States and say, hey, we are not competing at a high enough level when it comes to these dual nationals. We can't keep letting some of these players slip. So if effort does go to Mexico, is that a, more of a win for Mexico or a loss for the USA? It's a tough question. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Ephra's is still a young pup, turns 19 in the summer. Uh, just like all these young pups, they still have a long way to go. He's still in that phase of making the transition to being a professional yeah. in the, in the strictest sense of the word being a professional and leading a professional's life, right? Which you don't know until maybe you're 21, 22, 23, you know, whether a player is indeed a true professional in the, in the strongest sense of the word.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm excited to watch how that unfolds. I know we'll have our finger on the pulse and I look forward to conversing about, you know, whatever happens either way. I have a feeling, Gary, that this is going to need a follow-up conversation. Uh, I'm interested to see what some of the comments say about this topic. Uh, And like I said, we will be watching very closely to see, you know, what Efrain Alvarez decides uh, and what the future is going to be for this U.S. men's national team. Uh, But, Gary, thank you again for your time. I know uh, everybody here appreciates it. I appreciate hearing your input, and I look forward to, to doing this again.
0: Beautiful, brother. We'll talk soon.
1: All right. Thank you, Gary.
0: Ciao, ciao.